To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 270 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today's main story, new vaccines are well on their way to being distributed broadly in countries around the world. But how we get the shots to billions of people and when isn't just a logistical problem. It's an ethics question, too. But first, here's what happened in Virus News today. Canada's public health authorities have approved the Pfizer and BioNTech coronavirus vaccine. The approval paves the way for Justin Trudeau to begin a government campaign to vaccinate Canadians against COVID-19 which has killed more than 12,800 people in the country so far. Canada has secured more doses of the vaccine per person than any other country in the world. The Prime Minister said last month that a majority of the population of Canada should be able to get their shots by September 2021. Some more news emerged about how well the Pfizer and BioNTech vaccine works. According to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, it prevents symptomatic cases of the virus, but it's not clear if the shot keeps the disease from being transmitted. The FDA published their findings in a report issued Tuesday. The risk that immunized people could still transmit the virus carries important implications for continued mask wearing and social distancing, even among those who have been vaccinated. Finally, new tests show the coronavirus was circulating in Italy as early as the end of November 2019. That's according to a report published by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And it lends weight to other studies showing the disease appeared in Europe earlier than originally thought. The new findings shift the timeline for the beginning of the outbreak in Italy from late February 2020, when the first cases on the continent were identified, to late autumn 2019. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. And now for today's main story. The U.K. began administering the first COVID-19 vaccine this week. And the U.S. may do the same within days. But the emergence of these vaccines brings tough choices around who gets it first and how it will be distributed. Bloomberg senior editor Jason Gale spoke with an ethics expert about the thinking behind some of these decisions and how the current vaccines could affect how we develop future ones. Professor Arthur Kaplan says there's a list of people who should get the vaccine first, and healthcare workers are at the top. In the emergency side, I think it's pretty clear that uh, you're trying to, in the U.S. in particular, preserve the healthcare system from not being tipped over. So healthcare workers are going first, not because they're the greatest need or the greatest risk, but you've got to try and maintain the system. It'll be frontline healthcare workers there, and I think that everybody agrees on that. Art is the head of the Division of Medical Ethics at New York University Grossman School of Medicine, and he's been looking at questions related to vaccination for the last six years. Art says the second group on that list should be nursing home residents. They got beat up very badly by the virus, and they still are. You know, out of 250,000 or so deaths here, I think 100,000 were nursing homes. Art says after that, there are differing views about who should be next. Then as more supply begins to appear, you'll probably then go to older, over 65s, people with chronic conditions, and quote-unquote essential workers. That's a big group. That's probably 80 million plus, but I think we'll have enough vaccine to do that. There's also another group on that list that would need the vaccine. People who have already been infected with the virus because reinfection is possible. Everything that I hear tells me that you're going to have to vaccinate uh, people who've had COVID because you don't know how strong the antibody response is or how long ago it was. So I think I, I think they're going to have to go too. Unless you had COVID last week and, you know, maybe you know that your antibodies are high and maybe that. But I mean, that's a tiny handful of people. But getting people to even take the vaccine may be a challenge if flu is anything to go by. New data says that only half of US residents received a flu shot this season, and more than a third of adults don't plan to get one. Polls indicate a lack of support for COVID vaccines as well. Art says that may reflect concern that safety might have taken a back seat to speed in developing them. There's certainly some people out there who are just anti-vax, as there are in Australia, Britain, and other parts of Europe, but I don't think that's a big number. I think what's going to happen is as soon as the healthcare workers get vaccinated and they do well and they don't get sick, and then we see protection for nursing home residents, I think we're going to see a big shift. It's going to move from, I'm not sure, to I want to get this and how come I can't get it right away. Look, uh, some nations... Australia, Taiwan, New Zealand, China have worked their way out of this thing by behavior change, lockdowns, and strict isolation and quarantine. The U.S. has not. It's lost control of it. It has to rely on vaccines. But I do think, I do think ultimately they're going to help the states work their way out of it. 
Still, Art says mandatory vaccination is not likely, with maybe some exceptions like the military. Well, look, no one's going to make an experimental vaccine mandatory. So emergency use, the first phase of availability, they're not going to mandate it. You're going to get an offer. You're going to get to choose. Once the vaccine gets licensed, I think you'll see mandates all over the place. I think uh, healthcare institutions, nursing homes will say, you're not going to work here unless you get vaccinated. I think you'll see airlines and trains and cruise ships saying you're not coming on board unless you show proof of vaccination. I suspect most Americans are nervous that the government's going to tell them they have to get a vaccine, but I think you're going to see mandates coming out of the private sector more than the government. Art says the rollout of the vaccine will present another ethical issue. It will make it harder to test the safety and efficacy of other COVID vaccines still in development. The way large randomised controlled studies, so-called phase three clinical trials, are structured means that a portion of people get an experimental COVID vaccine while a portion get a placebo, or at least a vaccine that's not protective against the coronavirus. Art says he suspects people, especially healthcare workers and others at high risk of infection, won't want to take their chances. They'll want to get a proven COVID vaccine, and that will make it harder to recruit participants for these trials. There are many vaccines in the pipeline that haven't reached phase three trials. Some may be cheaper, some may be easier to store, some may be one shot. They may have different advantages. If you have a couple of vaccines that are either out there with emergency use approval or get licensed, who's going to be in those trials? Nobody. You're going to take the vaccines that are 95% effective and have no side effects? So while it's great that we have vaccines that appear safe and effective, the bad news is that it's going to undercut future trials. We're going to have to decide as a world how much evidence and what kind of evidence are we going to accept to license these things? Because I don't think it's going to come from large-scale randomized trials of this sort that historically have been used to establish the efficacy and safety of vaccines. One option is that experimental vaccines are compared head-to-head with proven ones. But Art sees another possibility. I think, and it's controversial for me to say this, but I think that's going to open the door to trying some challenge studies. Deliberately infecting small numbers of people to get hard, reliable data quickly when big trials become unlikely or impossible to do especially if we get better and better therapeutic drugs so we could prevent death, rescue someone who got severely ill, and they're starting to appear. They're not there yet completely. But I've tried to argue for a long time now that challenge studies are in our future, and I think this collapse of the big studies is going to make them more in our future. There's also the matter of whether people will be able to choose which vaccine they get. The other thing I think we've not paid enough attention to is everybody wants to know who's going first. Well, that's nice. But in the short run, The issue isn't who's going first. The issue is, are places going to be able to administer this darn vaccine? Pfizer's vaccine needs to be stored at ultra-freezing temperatures from where it's manufactured through to the clinics and centres potentially hundreds of miles away administering it. And that requires more careful maintenance of a rigorous cold chain than a similar vaccine made by Moderna, which is stable at regular freezer temperature. Pfizer's is cold chain, very, very cold temperatures. I don't know if I trust being able to keep everything at the cold chain temperatures all the way through. It's hard. Even if you do, it comes in packages, I think, of a 1,000. Art says that in order to avoid wastage, the immunization process needs to be done incredibly efficiently and at a large scale, at least for the Pfizer vaccine. There may be more flexibility with Moderna's shot. 
you open up the package and you got to give them out within five or six hours. That takes a lot of people to vaccinate that many people that fast. Those people have to be in one place to get it. Oh, I mean, it's logistically going to be harder than I think people think. So while we're all worried about is grandma going to get it before the healthcare worker, before the essential worker, I have a feeling there are some short-term logistics issues that are going to have to be sorted out. For example, do I get to pick which vaccine I want? I doubt it. That was Jason Gale. And that's it for our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, Magnus Henriksen, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Jason Gale. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Rick Schein and Francesca Levy. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.